Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John, and welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. That's, that's right. And to avoid lazy negativity, we have made this a little drinking game. So anytime you hear anything negative about a movie, each other, anything at all, you're going to hear this sound. That's going to keep us positive, people. We are trying to, we're going to try to stay positive. So take a drink. And that's what happens when we Pour hear that. Pour yourselves buzz. a glass and let's see if we can make it past the eight hole on this one. Make it past, hey. the, make it past the eight hole. Hey. We're just starting at the 19th that was, hole. That Isn't was that right, totally Jeff? accidental. That, I, didn't, I, that was, I don't know what I said there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, you're a whisker away from drunkness here listening to our podcast. And we are talking about the Phantom of the Open today. Very excited here. But first, before we get in, let's just do our, let's do our sponsors. Forgiven. You can let's be forgiven just, for not hearing this movie because I don't think anyone has. Let's do our sponsors because I want to start talking about this movie. John, we haven't seen Carlos in like four years, but just tell him, tell us about him. We have a beer sponsor. His name is Carlos Barozo. You can find his link in the show notes. Cbarozo.beer, C-B-A-R-O-Z-O dot B-E-E-R. And we have a artist known as Dasan who provides awesome music for us in every single episode about to launch on Spotify. But right now it's on Bandcamp. Follow the link in the show notes. We'll make sure you have all that available. Let's talk about this fucking yeah, yeah, movie, yeah. dude. Our sponsors are great. Guys, if... This movie's in limited release right now. It is in so <laughs> limited release. It's like in one movie theater in the whole of New York City. I was literally like yeah. scrolling yeah. through. I was like, shit, 42nd Street, let's go. I'm assuming that's where you saw it, Dave. It is. Yeah, they handed me my popcorn in a brown paper bag. It was that exclusive. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was feeling fuzzy on that one. My, uh, might not have been popcorn. I don't know. It was, it was in Times Square. <laughs> that was the bath salts like you were talking about last week. They were showing it in two, they were, Jesus, they were showing it in two AMCs here, but only like two late morning show times. Like they knew exactly yeah. who they thought was going to go see this. So I well, went to well, one of the indie theaters the, here and saw it, but yeah, it's so limited. The funny thing is like the population of my theater was seven. Uh, which was me, four randoms, and two grannies who turned out to be Mark Rylance super fans. I mean, oh, nice. the greatest living actor is making a yeah. weird golf movie. Like, come on, we got you. Got to see it. You got to see there it. There are five people in my theater. How many people were in your theater, Jeff? That and then two people showed up an hour in and just talked to each other the whole time. But I, oh, they were, but uh, I, they were dicks. they were far away from me. They were fine. This movie was great. Um, since. I'm, I'm hoping that we are getting the golf movie fans over our over this way. I'm hoping this isn't just the usual crowd. I'm hoping people see this movie and just want to look it up and none of the prestige motherfuckers are talking about it. So they're stuck listening to us because we're the only ones with the fan of the open on. So if that's you, if you're a golfing fanatic, we just want to say Will Zalatoris is going to get his goddamn championship. We are recording this right Will after it? the United States Open. Dave. You can just you can get a beer if you need for a second here, but we're talking. Wills Altaris has like seven top tens in his last nine. Matt Fitzpatrick, good for you. I'm excited to see what your brother Alex is going to do. He currently is a golfer and the Tar Heels of North Carolina. Scotty Scheffler, oh. best best player in the year. 25 looks 45. Looks about the same age as Morris. <laughs> oh, looks about Scotty, the same age. It's a <laughs> true story. It's oh been goodness, this year has been hard on him. I mean, the money's oh, been no. great, but oh. yeah, I think he's doing pretty well his wallet's looking pretty good actually anyway i'm saying this is to, to segue because what a good time for golf movies because here I, i'm convinced that if, first of all niche is in right now so any weird niche if you're on tiktok they you know you know that the chinese I, I know love, exactly love, what you're up to but the golf is plural like i, know, I was gonna say <laughs> can we do them all caddyshack happy gilmore the legend of bagger the, the legend of bagger vance um and tin cup tin cup good call uh, that's uh, 
That's all um, I got. And this one. And this one. <laughs> and this one. You know what? We should have fucking keep keep talking. I'm just gonna spit some more at you while you while you rage. Golf golf has had its it's having a young renaissance. We got the Live Golf Tour coming in. They're trying to fuck everything up with all their blood money from Saudi Arabia in a land where you can't be gay or even kiss somebody without being stoned. They do stonings. And they had most of the hijackers in 9-11. But go ahead and take their fucking money, Dustin Johnson. No, we are talking about... <laughs> Jesus. Honestly. No, I mean, yeah, I mean it's it, weird. It, it was it's negative, weird. but true, I guess. I, yeah. I know I know, we're not great here either, but come on, dude. Come on, dude. If you, I'm glad. Go ahead and say that shit, for real, dude. My dad and I were talking about that. Good. What the fuck? All right, uh, so... <laughs> Let's get back. Get back on topic. Let's get back to the Phantom of the <laughs> Open. This movie. About? This movie stars the greatest living actor, Mark Rylance, who is British again. He goes back and forth between British and American, thanks to his. I think he has dual citizenship. Uh, that's right. He led Shakespeare's Globe Theater for about twenty years, and he drives. He drove a smart car twenty years before it was cool. This is directed by Craig Roberts. Craig Roberts, who you may know as. Uh, ass juice from the movie Neighbors. <laughs> that is his character's a, name in the movie Neighbors. Step up. <laughs> he was I mean, a this kid, dude. What the fuck? Sort of child star, and then you know, in his teens and early twenties, was doing shit. He was like the lead of the movie of the TV show Red Oaks on Amazon. He was in he was in Neighbors and Twenty Two Jump Street. He was in the British show Skins for a couple episodes. Being human, a million, just like a whole bunch of shit. He was in the Tolkien movie a couple years ago, but now he's a director. And his second directing, his second movie came out a couple years ago, starring Sally Hawkins, who's back in another one of his movies yeah. with the sweet and tender role. David, I just saw Paddington too, and Sally Hawkins is showing some range, man. She's really yeah. showing some range. Dude, she's she's always been so good. Her and uh, she's in some Mike Lee movies. At the beginning yeah. of her career. I mean, she is just, she's one of my favorites. I feel like we don't see her enough. That might be my only critique of this whole fucking movie. We'll get to it. I wish I saw a little more more dimension to her character, but what a what a touching, touching, uh, uh, supporting they did, role. They did the Hollywood thing where they were like, oh, it was all because of her. <laughs> it's just like, three that <laughs> yeah. The end of a beautiful mind in the golf movie. <laughs> the end of a beautiful yeah. mind in a golf movie. Okay, so th- anyway, this movie I'm talking about, 2019. It is Eternal Beauty, co-starring Sally Hawkins. So yeah, so that is Craig. And his first, his first one was just Jim. Uh, yeah, he starred in it and written, uh, directed. I think he wrote it too. And it was uh, Emil Hirsch in him and a two-hander. What the fuck, dude? Ah, just. Where's right out of the gate, that was his first feature film. I don't even think he's credited making any short films. He just went straight to the feature. <laughs> Where's Where Emil Hirsch? Been? Is, he, is he still we in can Alaska? Do a whole podcast? On, yeah. I just that guy does not have the career. Emil, if you're listening, you and I, they're great. I feel like uh, he, yeah, he, like he, he lied. He lied, on his, <laughs> he lied on his application sheet and ticked professional and just got straight in. That's right. Okay, so Skip this the shorts. Let's do it, dude. <laughs> I'm gonna open this up. Let me give you some more of the blurb. But really quick, there to the movie. So this was. So this is written, the screenplay was by Simon Farnaby, and the the book, The Phantom of the Open, the story of the worst golfer in the world, Florence Whitcroft, Flitcroft, sorry, Morris Flitcroft. Flitcroft. <laughs> Let me say this again. The Phantom of the Open, <laughs> the story of the worst golfer in the world, Morris Flitcroft. Morris is spelt exactly the same way that you would spell Maurice, but it's Morris. And this is, um, it was written by... Simon Farnaby and Scott Murray. So Simon Farnaby told Scott Murray, hey, I'm writing the screenplay. Leave me alone. 
even though they both wrote the book. And the movie starts the greatest living actor on the planet, Mark Rylance, who we just talked about in, an, in, a, in a, our episode on The Outfit. I highly recommend you check it out. It's currently on Peacock. Mark Rylance, people. I'm giving you the blurb and then I'm shutting the fuck up. This is Morris Flickcroft, a dreamer, an unrelenting optimist, managed to gain entry to the British Open Golf Championship qualifying in 1976 and subsequently shot the worst round in open history be coming a folk hero in the process. Morris Flickcroft, worst golfer in history. Uh, let's go to you, Dave. What do you think? Initial reactions. What'd you think, feel? And we're going to stay spoiler free for a couple minutes. Okay. Yeah, we'll stay spoiler free. But it, like when uh, I'll admit when this was first suggested, I had to look it up. Everybody and I was did. like, ah, oh, it's a it's a golf movie. And then I read the spiel, and it's like it's like a loose biography about a crane operator who takes up golf after seeing it on TV in the seventies. This should have been boring as shit, and it so is the complete opposite. It's delightful, it's inspiring, it's hilarious, and it's full of deeply insightful philosophies. I found I I really enjoyed this. Really fucking enjoyed this. I, I'll get into later how much I enjoyed this, um, but I was just all in. Like, there was no one else in the theater. I was absolutely enraptured by this fucking story. It is such a well-made film. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I completely agree. I uh, I wept at the end of this. I was emotionally <laughs> affected. I don't usually go in for the feel-good movies, but I am a consistent sucker for the uh, the, 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 the innocent dumbwit. You know, the, the pure of heart. Uh, some of my favorite movies, Harvey, uh, Being There is a wonderful film. I think Forrest Gump was a modern one that really touched, was a big touchstone for a lot of uh, our Generation X and millennials. I mean, and this is, this is one of those two. It's just whenever they pull off this, it feels, it can feel cheesy and stuff, but this was so, this was so grounded in an earnest whimsy that I felt like it just, it had a little bit of a flavor that was a little different than those wonderful films that had come before with this kind of character. So I don't yeah. even, you don't even need to like or love golf at all. The comedy is going to be there uh, whether or not you care about it. And the real emotional stuff is going to come from his pursuit and his relationships with his family. So I can't say this enough. Be one of the five people in your town to go see this movie because mm. this is another one, as we talked about with the outfit, there's no fucking way this movie would have gotten made if Mark Rylance <laughs> didn't get on board and be an executive producer and attach his name to it to help raise some money. Uh, not that it was a crazy expensive film, but they just we just yeah. don't see movies like this very he, much. So. He makes good choices, and I'm, I, in this case, I'm so glad he did. Yeah, go, go like, see it, folks. I was crying so, so much hard fun. at the end of this. <laughs> so much. I'll, I'll go into later because like I don't want to spoil the end, like the end of it. Uh, but I'll go into later what what I did at the end. Um, but yeah, I walked out of the theater. Did and it I'm stay in your like pants? I'm, I'm, I'm walking. Yes, it absolutely Jeez. stayed in my pants. I was sitting in an exposed aisle. Um, oh, because you were on I, the I, aisle. I walked, out of, I walked out of the theater and I'm smiling at people in Times Square. So now I have three restraining orders. Yeah, that's what you but, did. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. For, for, for smiling at people <laughs> no, in Times Square. You're exactly right, dude. You're, this is medicine for the soul. It really is. Jeff, what'd you think? Um, I, I couldn't agree more with all you're saying. I should also shout out that Phoebe Waller-Bridge's sister, Isabel Waller-Bridge, wrote the yeah, score. Yeah, she wrote the score. The, yeah. I, saw, I literally saw Waller-Bridge. I was like, oh, it's got to be something. Yeah. Um, this is, well, I'm gonna, we'll talk about Mark Rylance. We'll, we'll get to Mark a little bit. So I'll just say, before I, we'll just, you know, he's the best on the planet. So the, we'll, we'll have a whole section on him like we did on the outfit. So we'll save our gush alarm for a couple minutes from now. But 
Yeah, there, I love the way that it was like, it was clearly shot to look like a classic, but but also it didn't sacrifice quality to do that. So it it sounded like just like the epic movies from the past. It had these whimsical moments to just just prove to you it wasn't taking itself too seriously or that it wasn't it, it's almost like the whimsical you know what i mean those whimsical moments that like they're floating in space or these weird dream sequences that are not like current dream sequences not like that paddington paddington 2 dream sequence this was like like the umbrellas of sherbert fucking dream sequence like weird like probably <laughs> yeah. simple practical sets like simple stuff just proving to you a producer did not fuck with this movie we made the movie we wanted to make and we're feeling ridiculous and it's totally worth it and the characters are likable and relatable and they're so true i think to that who those characters are that you know here this is what i think let, let me see if the, i'm saying this right the movie never tried to accomplish more than the characters so it was never trying to be the epic mm, film the way that the, yeah. ca- the characters even though yeah he wanted to play in the british open and he wanted to be a whatever a professional golfer like it was just his dream it was just the, it was just the guy's dream and he gave everything to it he, he's not trying to be um fucking like the winner of slumdog millionaire or something he's not trying to he's not trying to win yeah this some was kind a of championship. simple story that like yeah for most of it like most of the stuff in the film is true and the movie just well, let it be. The which movie is just great. let it be. And, and they, it, it had enough character, but also you had such a great cast right down to, like, everyone. That, so I think it was great, yeah. Yeah, the, you, yeah. you honestly, genuinely liked these people and you felt for them. And so when things went wrong, you felt bad. Like, it was, it was a really great... I'm wondering, did they make those guys live together? Because they were acting like they'd live together. Oh, like, this, yeah, the blocking in that teeny tiny house, like the way yeah. that they all interact with each other. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was like something that Mark wanted, because he's an EP on this, that he was like, we're rehearsing. <laughs> yeah. We're rehearsing, we're playing, <laughs> we're improvising, I don't give a fuck. Like, I want to feel like a family. Like, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Hmm. Let's oh, go so to great. spoilers. Let's move on. This spoilers great. already? Actually, also, before we move, well, there's not before that much to spoil spoilers. in this, by the way. So. Yeah, yeah it's, all, it's, it's all, before we move into spoilers, I just want to talk about something quickly that happened. I saw happen before the movie because uh, I got there a little early and you know how they normally have the pre-show program that everybody turns up late to avoid. Like, And uh, so I'm sitting there and there was this, suddenly on screen, it comes, a, comes up a film by Dove. And I was like, all right. And it's, it's a mother and daughter walk into this room and they start talking about influences. And I feel like this is like an important thing. There's no gag here. This this was phenomenal what they did. Uh, I was four different mothers and daughters and they started showing them influences talking about body image and beauty tips and stuff like that. And then without any warning, it cuts to the mother deep faked saying the stuff the influencers are saying. And it's the most toxic beauty advice you've ever heard in your life. And this stuff is actually coming out to kids. Dove made this whole fucking film about like – you might not be saying it to them. You wouldn't say it to them, but they're seeing it anyway on yeah. these on these threads. And so you need to talk to your kids about what they're seeing and what they're doing. Cause, and I, I thought that was such a fucking good thing by Dove to put out. Like, I, I hope they can Dave. see more. Getting in there with the PSA. Shout no, out I totally to Dove. Agree. Yeah, go, yeah. go Dove. No, talk totally to your kids. <laughs> they're not even I had parents. a very, very like, yeah. deep conversation a few weeks ago with a, a mother of a, a nine-year-old girl and she's... You know, they're trying to deal with all that shit and it's fucking hard. Yeah. Like the, the sheer yeah. amount that they get exposed to is ridiculous. Uh, it's terrible. I can't imagine this being a young a young person going through that right now, especially a young woman. I'm sure that's very difficult. So yeah. good for Doug for stepping yeah, up. Was, they didn't tell the mother they were going to do it either. So the mother saw herself stand there saying that she's like, that's not me. That's not me. She freaked out. It was great. Oh, that's good. Shit. Mm. They, that would, they put that ad in front of the right, uh, the right movie, like the 
Feel I good. hope that's in front of every movie, to be honest. Like that's yeah, yeah. That I mean, it's a message that needs to get out. Huh. But yeah. Okay. Sorry to digress good, there, but like, <laughs> no, that was important. That was important. Meaningful shit. Yeah. All right. So, so this movie. <laughs> We're going into the spoilers. Yeah, let's fucking do it. We're going into the spoilers. So everything you need to know is on the label of the can. You know, you're, you're going to read and like all the ingredients are there. There's nothing that's going to really surprise you. Of course, the guy who's playing his first fucking round of his life in the British Open yeah. isn't going to be, you know, he's not Eric Clapton. He's not 20. He's fucking 46 or seven. They, they refer to it at some point in the movie. Yep. And he literally sneaks on and plays for the very first time in this massive tournament. And, you know. He does he improve a little bit? Maybe, but that's not the point of this movie. And it does it doesn't let go of that, which I appreciate. It teases you with these little moments of realism and what is otherwise kind of a a uh it's not a broad comedy, but it's it's a whimsical comedy with a little bit of magical realism. So there are these mm, little yeah. kernels where you can see that every now and then it'll hit a decent shot. <laughs> and then yeah. it's just just like in the game itself, like doesn't matter you know he's immediately gonna suck after that and it's just that's part of the yep. fun that there's no difference <laughs> in his mind he's like i mean somebody practiced on the beach he had so much trouble with sand <laughs> my favorite part my favorite the essential here's the nutshell of that on this on his 18th hole of his first round this big wonder the whole sequence of the first round is amazing but he he has a good par three for anyone who doesn't know he just it's just a short club he doesn't hit like a real long he just hits it one of the irons and gets on the green this is big deal and then he like five putts it but then he comes home and he keeps saying everybody did you see i nearly birdied it (laughs) 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 i nearly birdied it i nearly he was like five putts away and and it was like a matter it was a full-on happy gilmore like are you too good for your home moment where he like four putts it from six feet oh it's so charming this is, so charming, charming is the word. Like, charming is the word for yeah, this movie. The, the, so way this, the way this endearing. makes you feel, it's, it's almost like the Forrest Gump of golf, mo- golf movies. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's, like, like the really thing we didn't. The thing we didn't talk about is like he does. He does this six more times, disguised as other nationalities and that other. That is so other funny. I couldn't and get I, the the first one. Who's the Who's the guy? I know Matt and Mark love this. Gerard we, hit a, we hit our quote. Um, the 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 character that Jim Carrey does that, that Andy Kaufman's other character in Man on the Moon. What's the oh, fucking yeah. character's name? That's like the first one when he was dressed up. I was like, ha! Like, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was just like, I had no idea that the guy did this Tony like Clifton. seven, yes. seven times. <laughs> Tony Clifton. Yeah, I had no yeah, idea about that. Fuck? That was a little bit of a, a little bit and of a surprise. And that's, that's the thing. Like, and it, I, I'm never talk out loud in the theater. Like it's nope, it's not a thing I do. I don't want to ruin the movie for anyone, but I'm sitting there in amongst all these people. And we get to the interview where we come back to the interview at the end. And the guy's saying about, Oh, I've got this friend of uh, like, that's not even going to the U S open to the British open because it's just too far away. And I literally said out loud in the theater as the camera's pushing in, what's his name? <laughs> and I, like I stole the line and I, I suddenly I realized, why well, I don't even know why I did it. I couldn't help myself. I was so in that character <laughs> at that point. I knew exactly what he was going to say and I pissed myself yes. laughing when he said it. Like, it's just good. What this a time. It's really good. How, what about the aesthetic? Like what I love about movies like this that are that are lived in, that let you actually like live and breathe in the space 
how good is just the 70s aesthetic of this place? The 70s. Oh, yeah. I, I, it's to the point where, and I'm not, I'm not like a, that is like not a health, that hard to find too. I'm not a health. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, and, and that's gotta be really weird for a camera. And I wonder if they had to like do some lens tests on plaids mixed with pattern mixed with oh, like yeah. browns and yellows and just like angles and just weird outfits and shit. Like it's gotta be so strange. Like what a cacophony of, of, you got to see like what modern CTO gels do to like, 70s clothes like there'd be tons of tests yeah but I, what's funny too is that and i know this is a golf movie but there's it's really a character study and i and i love the i'm not like a health freak or something but like i was i felt their nutrition like they kept eating like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch at the shipyard i like was like i feel what that would feel like to like your one meal is a fucking pb and j while you're like literally a crane operator you know in america we'd eat like a fucking <laughs> and they just have a pb and j the fucking mac and cheese for dinner from a grown-ass man is there something about yeah, it it's just yeah. so funny it's it was just like i felt it it was oh it was great and they shot this on film uh, I saw the. Uh, oh, they the did. Wait, did they did shoot it? On, they shot it on film. Mm-hmm. I saw the camera. The film loaders credited. So I'm, uh, well, I assume that some of it was shot on film. At least some okay. of it was on I, film. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought they'd be going back and forth because there were there was one time where it looked digital and it looked like the the film effects, you know, with like the little white dots and the little crinkling. Like I felt like that like came on afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah. You just get some eight millimeter and don't clean the gate. I, I thought maybe it was my. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. They're, they're, I think I'm sure they did go back and forth, but I think this. Uh, I think what struck me the most about this movie was unlike a Forrest Gump, which is again they've made these kinds of movies every now and then, every few decades, one really, really pops. But Forrest Gump had a a huge production around it. Yeah, right. That, that's kind of the appeal of it. Was yeah. that this? You know, this uh, very naive, innocent, pure of heart person just kind of gets wrapped up into the biggest parts of the latter half of the 20th century. And that's kind of fun watching him, like, find his way through that. Um, this was so contained. And, again, if you're a golf fan, we, we might think of the majesty of the British Open. But, like, the average person who goes to see this is just going to think, that's, like, wow, it's golf. Yeah, and, and the first time golf he as you think it, in this movie. Not as much golf as you think. Yeah. And the first time that the, he sees golf... That's also important. That look on his he face. He sees is it on so his teeny great. tiny. Yeah. He saw it on his small uh, TV screen, though. It's a very small television. And so, even that, like, when we think of golf, this is way before Tiger Woods. Like, this is way before Nike and these giant endorsements. You know, it was just this kind of slow, quiet game that a very small, small dem- demographic took part in. And an even smaller one gave a shit about it. <laughs> like, yeah. like for a long time, the only fans of golf were people who who played it, which was not many people. So there was something, there's something enigmatic about him getting invested in this sport. And I'm going to be honest with you. I read something, I read a couple pieces on this just to see what the critics were saying. And um, the person who was writing for uh, RogerEbert.com, I won't out them, they were a little frustrated that, that Craig, the director, never really got to the the nugget of why golf in particular struck his fancy, that he kind of felt like he scapegoated a little bit with this magical realism moment where he sees it and he goes into the stars and orbits the earth and it turns into a golf ball and he gets all excited. It just didn't bother me. Like, I think that's kind of part of the mm. the uh, the elixir of this charm is that you're not really, there's not really a tangible linear thought process for him. I don't think there was anyway, for why he chose this. 
at that point in his life. I think it was he also, was ready to have a new career, and he was like, it's, "That I looks think, fun." I think that I think that well, was and it. it was timing, and that's also, what they like, that's what they set up narratively. Because I will say, sorry, Dave, they, hmm. they they the narrative points check out every character, even the small ones. They have the beginning, middle, and end, and it, it tracks whether it was fully fleshed out, like Sally Hawkins' character, or like the oldest son, or not. Like it's they still have the points that they hit. That like if you were in a screenwriting class, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, fuck, Jack, you did that." But um, the one thing that it's just it was just the timing, like it, like. He, he was he was at a time in his life where if it, it had to be something, and so why not golf? You know what I mean? So like I almost saw it like as more of a happenstance that just like it it wasn't illuminous just because like he loved golf and golf was that you know we don't need to write a book on why golf is the perfect reason for this. It was just like the right time, and he wanted to devote himself to something, and he he just wanted to you know what I mean? Like it, why why does there have to be a reason for something like that? I don't know. I thought they I thought they pulled it off. <clears throat> Sorry, Dave, I think the fact that he's so <laughs> he's an older man, though, you know, what I mean, that's what's so charming about it is that <laughs> they did a good yeah. job of checking, you know, checking all the boxes. Uh, he's so a, ship, he's a shipyard 46, which is like uh, a, a white collar um, 78, like 80. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, right. Like he worked his whole life. Uh, they did a good enough job. I feel they did a good enough job telling you that, like, at one point he was relatively educated for somebody growing up in his time because he went away during the war and learned a little bit of other languages. And but he was just shipyard so, fodder, you know? So I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I think he's, uh, I think he was aware enough to realize that, that the odds were against him at that age. It was his naivete hmm. about the sport. That's what I think that I thought that the director did a good job with is that nobody knew that much about the sport except for people who played it. Yeah, I think so too. So golf probably seems like it's not a sport to most people who don't play it. It seems like it's just like this casual pastime that people are like, oh, that looks lovely. You know, and, this then reminds me, I, and then you get I, out yeah, there and you want to fucking kill yourself. I actually drew a little bit of that away from uh, like the first time I ever made a film. And I submitted You're like, it to. Sure, this is I'm, easy. <laughs> I'm like this. I'm like this is great. Like this is a good film. Everyone will love this. I sent it to the Friars Club in New York from Australia. It was terrible. Like it. Of it course. was not well produced. The lighting was like ridiculously bad, and it just like it was. I'm sure they watched it and laughed for all the wrong reasons. To be yeah. honest, but I was, you know, I had that same naivety where it's like, no, they'll love this. Yeah. And I, I sent it off, and I made it. Like, yeah. I, yeah. So I kind of, I kind of relate. Plus, I love an underdog story. Oh yeah. Like I, I've told you guys about the Stephen Bradbury thing in Australia. We're like every, every, every country has one of these guys. And no, ours, was, ours, was, ours was Stephen Bradbury, uh, 2002 Winter Olympics. He's doing the short track speed skating. He's done four other uh, events, and he's like, I'm, I don't have any fuel in the tank. I. I can't beat these guys. I'm in the semifinal. I can't beat these guys. They're going for gold. They are. They're like really, really going for gold. So his strategy was just to get out of the way. Now in the semifinal, those guys crashed and fell, and he went through. <laughs> in the final, he's like, "Oh my god, I'm in the final. I'm just going to get out of the way." And in the final, it fucking happened again. Right at the finish line, he sailed past them and won the first gold by a semi Southern Hemisphere uh, country ever. <laughs> in a winter oh olympics God, and so it coined a phrase in australia doing a bradbury is like literally like where you have an unexpected win I like this. that's, yeah, that's he, great yeah so we like it's it's that it reminded me of that sort of thing because like we had that and it was a big thing in 2002 this totally related to this on the same level this movie reminded me of up 
to be honest with you, where it was like at, at a certain point, just go for your fucking dream because why not? You know what I mean? It had the I had I the montage. It had the montage of the that that montage mm-hmm. with him and his wife, and he meets his wife. It is as touching as up. So yes, this is a golf movie, but at the same time, it's like. Oh my god, and and I know John, I know what you're saying about the Sally Hawkins thing. I, yeah, I would have to agree, but at the same time, when it's it's almost like a like a, I I remember when when you were you with me? No, it was we were didn't I was in Heritage Theater Festival and we saw Up, and then my friend Gino Carr came and he was like, "Hey, uh, did you guys see Up? I really want to go see it." And I was like, "I think you should see it with your wife." <laughs> yeah, I think you should see you know what I mean like it's just one of those movies yeah. I feel like this like I feel like my dad and my mom kind of watches golf to be like friends I feel like they should watch it together it's just fucking charming it's just touching and then my mom can yeah. say and the, the message of, of all of it it seems is like because that, that 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 fine line of like things could be worse like when yeah, I think or- I'm having a bad day and I want to give up things could be worse and of course they conflate that with like well I'm not as bad as Morris Flickcroft but then they they, I think that the writers do a good job of of making that message really come back to. Well, well I, what I, I mean by that is the... what I mean by that is he kept going and he doesn't feel too much shame about that. So why yeah. should I beat myself over it? I feel like my mom can sit there and be like, you know what? Out of all the golf shit you put me through, um, <laughs> <laughs> at least you can actually play golf. So yeah, I, don't I know. mean, his whole philosophy was at least you tried, right? Which is yeah. a, it's a message and that he almost didn't even believe yeah. too, which is so really I, great. Yeah. The journey. So I got him. I got that and I came home and I opened a fortune cookie with my Chinese food and it said you can write your own script and I was like. All right, that's, that's two things in a day. I'm, how I'm done. You, yeah. How can you not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think whenever you have this, again, unlike the uh, Forrest Gump and being there, where both of those characters kind of slid mysteriously into greatness. Yeah. Right. This this stayed, you know. Again, it was it kind of stayed on the outside. Thank, thank he, God. He became, if, if, folk, he became a folk hero. If he um, just, if he shot like a two under by the end of this, I'd be like, I don't know. Yeah, it's I mean, I can't say it enough. Like, the rest <laughs> like, of the movie is fantastic, but his opening round, the the seduction from the the audience starting to follow him and the people at the bars and the yeah, pubs because those first couple holes were like hard to watch. To root oh, for oh, that first that shot. First, that no, first when, shot. When that, no, when that other guy, when the first guy tees off, he just goes fucking yeah. hell. <laughs> straight up, straight up to tell his kid not to swear. But he doesn't. Mark, Mark is one of the best voice performers of all time. Meaning, like his voice is like it's like you study his speaking voice. He, he he's like, oh, he's talking up here for most of the way. He's like fucking hell, like it drops into this. God, that was so. It was so funny. good. I mean, and then like his first shot, where you see him imagine where it's gone. And then you see the reality, and it's like fucking eight feet away. And, and then you know doing what? the math. I like the, I like the close eyes thing. I bet you he filmed it both ways yeah. and said, "We'll figure out which one to work." But the fact that his eyes were closed and like I just thought it was so funny. No, it was great. And then it just it just didn't lit up. Like very British, the humor. Like he hits it five six yards or eight yards technically. Right? Eight yards, like, yeah. Very good, son. <laughs> How far are we on? How far are we now? Yeah, he's like, what are we doing? It was was four sixty to the hole. Do the math. Got about eight yards. So what's that? Four five two to the pin. He's like, very good. I'll take the three iron. It just stayed so grounded. It was so sincere that that's why it stayed. Which again is important for all these movies, but uh, it didn't. The world didn't make light of that. Again, like everyone likes Forrest Gump, and the world kind of got on board with it, and you felt like Mm. the the observer, the director's eye, knew that this was ridiculous. I don't think anyone thought this was ridiculous except for the villains, and and they were definitely the mustache twirling, 
the Mr. McKinsey, the head of the Reisifens, yeah, oh, famous, famous yeah. actor Reisifens. Which again, the, uh... some people may say two dimensional. It was so like, oh, ah, nah, that's why I cast the good but, like, actor. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. It was yeah. cute. It was sweet. There was fun technical, like physical also, it's, comedy. I'm sorry, it's true. We all know that country clubs don't. Well, you know what I mean? Like they, they wouldn't just let this person walk on their course and the British Open doesn't want this person playing in the British Open. We know that to be true. His meeting with the guys at the beginning. Good night, lads. He's like, <laughs> and he says, would you like to play with me? And they're like, you know, they blow him off. And he's like, you know, on second thought, I don't think I have time to play with you guys. He like <laughs> just tries to own it. Th- those were some of my favorite moments where he was ashamed. There were a few moments where you could tell he, it's not like he's... A, completely blind to he wasn't so yeah. innocent he's, so not, he's, mr. Not, he's, he's not, not mr magoo he's not mr magoo forrest gump did a good job of showing you that he was what we call special needs back then they used another word for it they said it in the script right he yeah. went there and tested that way as a child i don't think we were supposed to think of him that way so he was wise enough to realize that those guys were being mean to him and that they didn't want him to be around he just didn't oh, yeah. care <laughs> And I, oh, no, I was... wasn't I wasn't drawing a comparison to Forrest Gump like the character. I was drawing a comparison to Forrest Gump the movie, as in he kept getting in these situations, putting himself in these situations. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um and also the fucking soundtrack. Can we take a minute to talk about that? Yeah. What was the budget of this film? Because I can guarantee you at least half of it was the licensing of that fucking it. music. I will say that might be I said the Sally Hawkins, Sally Hawkins thing. I think that's my only act. I'll I'll let her go because it, it was important for that. I think there were too many needle drops. I thought what I thought Waller Bridges score was doing all the work I needed for this kind of movie, maybe one or two, because the, the young sons, uh, twin sons are, are disco dancers. You <laughs> yeah. can't write this shit. You can't write this shit. I mean, it's, it's just so charming and it was actually true. So yeah, maybe a few of those moments were, were effective, but I do think they started overusing the needle drops and I wanted more of that, that whimsical score. I thought it was working so well for me. Um, there were I mean, also to, a few to songs me, the needle that drops were, used. were telling you what year it was. Yeah, maybe there were a few, I, I there were a few needle those. drops, but there were a few needle drops. That, that, the songs were after the, that took place, which I thought was strange. So yeah. I thought there were some times where they were out of place where I was like, I don't, what year is it? And it kind of made me think about like what, what year it was, but it, it doesn't matter. It was, an, it was still, I still had lots of fun. I don't, don't All fuck right. what I just said. Let's call, let's call off on Mark. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's call off on Mark. Here's the, here's the, here's the great irony. Cause he's, he's, uh, he's known as a Shakespearean actor, even though like, you know, he's, he's even called the Shakespeare, the Shakespeare canon into, into question. He was in the movie anonymous, which questions whether or not Shakespeare actually wrote at least all of his own plays. Are you talking about the director of Moonfall's <laughs> most serious grounded drama? <laughs> Anonymous. Uh, oh, come on. Is it just because I said Moonfall? Okay. <laughs> um, Fuck so that film. The great irony about no. the great irony about Shakespeare's writing is that even though it was highly poetic and it was about wealthy people, it really was a working man's art. He was writing it knowing that working men, yes, men at the time, were going to say it. But it was also supposed to. It, so even though, again, it, even though it was high poetry, it was meant to tell the, the the relatable stories. It wasn't just meant to prop up politicians. It was meant to take somebody's crown off their head and show what they're like right before they go take a shit. Like it really, like, that's what it is. So yes, it's high poetry, but <laughs> there's something about the way Mark delivers every single line. His walk. So it's this is this is more than just being a great actor, and this is more than just yeah. You know, I feel like the method cheapened people's pursuit of let's say perfection for the sake of this movie, right? Practice makes you know perfection or whatever. But like, 
whether he's writing some fine line between either making poetry sound working class or making working class language have the same effect as poetry in this movie in a way that is like, it's both accessible, but never once do you think he's putting on a show. Like he's doing all the same work to legitimize this populace as Brando does in On the Waterfront, but this is a comedy and this is in England. And you would never once think that he is not a shipyard fucking crane operator. And when he's in the thing, just he, when he's shooting the shit with the guys, I could spend an hour. I could spend an. I could just spend a lunch break with these guys, just listening yeah, I to them. Yeah, want to just talk. have lunch with them. Yeah, fucking yeah. fire no, it no, up! No, no, fire up that fucking gush a lot. Fire it up on me. God damn it, this movie's good. I just want to. I want to watch all. Okay, I know, I know. Okay, I'll drink. But I want to watch all of the Mark Rylance like extended footage, all of it. <laughs> I know. No, you're not. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. This movie opens with some really wonderful comedy over the screen with the, you know, you see the production companies and you're just listening to them setting up an interview with Morris Flickcroft and he's asking for his cup of tea and six sugars. And you know, it's, it's really sweet. And then the finally cuts on it's classic, you know, the documentary camera angle is pointing at him and, and Mark's doing some ticks and stuff. You can see he's like, all right, this this is this kind of character we're gonna see oh, him, his like, cough him... he does a cough early on then i was like yes it's yeah, like just a little cough <laughs> and he's like moves it moves his eyes a little bit and i was like okay he's gonna he's gonna go for this is a very affected character and it just it it doesn't dissolve that's not the right it it, it doesn't evolve either it just it just is it's just he lives this life it cuts away into you know a more real-time narrative and it just turns into this thing where all of his all of his strange isms that we get to see some of the footage at the end of this film. They weren't shy about this. I think Mark brought a lot of that to it. I think he tried to craft oh, yeah. somebody that would have these. Cause I don't think the guy that we saw in that stock footage moved and talked exactly like that, but I think everything he did complimented the fact that we needed to fall in love with Mark Rylance's Morris Flickcroft. Yeah. And that's what I thought was so, so touching about it. And it's a real mm. good character study on, there's anyone who's into the acting community and the, the craft itself. There's a giant debate whenever you play a real life character of, of whether or not you do an impression or you read as much as you can about them, but don't watch the footage, cast them off and just try to bring Austin, yourself to it. Austin Butler is going to have that blend. right now with, with Elvis is like, he kind of looks like Austin Butler, yeah. but really, if you look at him, he looks like Elvis, but maybe he's too Austin Butler, but maybe he is kind of, you know, he's going to go through that for sure for the next fucking month. Yeah. So we just got a fucking, you know, masterclass and watching, watching somebody do it and never sacrifice. I guess what I would say is I don't, I, I, we never got to spend an entire evening at home with, you know, Morris Flickcroft. So if what was needed to sell this story was the, the charm and the relationship and the, the smiles, the way he would just smile off the shame or the sadness or the, the uncomfortableness, the relationship with his wife, if all of that was totally crafted by Mark Rylance and what he needed to do to justify that was to bring that physicality. Anyone who has an issue with that, I would say, I would say, fuck you. Cause I think it justified <laughs> all of the things that were necessary for him to actually to grab hold of the, of the tone of his character. They, they didn't, they weren't trying to have this grounded in dark working class, you know, eighties Europe, you know, British realism. This wasn't a Ken Loach film, even though there were some angles and shots where it kind of felt like, I think Ken Loach shot in that fucking house at one point. Honestly, I feel like <laughs> I feel like we we've been in that world before, but it just had something that was uh that was really uh there was a levity to it. And and all of it hung on Mark. You were just watching him yeah. walk around the room 
there were these lovely masters, these establishing shots that were very Ken Loach. They, they, I felt the camera just kind of stood on the in the kitchen and they just kind of shot the living room. And when he would just kind of move in around his sons and go have a seat in that his chair, I was like, God damn it, I could just I just want to stay here for the rest of the night. It feels yeah, warm and cozy in there. He's real good at business. I mean, oh, yeah. it's all behavior, right? It's, all, it's behavior. all behavior, dude. He is just, what can we say about him? My Here's what, another one of my favorite moments. And I, I've been saying it in my head all day. When he's being interviewed after his final, his first round, Morris, what do you say to playing the worst round of golf? He's like, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't think that's fair. I don't think it was a good reflection of my game. <laughs> They're like, well, why, why would you say that? He's like, well, I'm not one to make excuses, but I left my forearm in the car. <laughs> it's just... He's like, like, I'm whoa, deadly whoa. accurate with my forearm. I'm deadly, deadly accurate. He's got a 9 and a 12 with a question mark after it for some reason. <laughs> question mark is so funny. Question mark <laughs> so funny. I also I also love because most people who, who don't watch golf don't know that you don't keep your own score at these events. The other members you keep each other's scores, and of course you need to keep track so that you make sure. You're not, so it's so funny when he says the other guy's score, and then he just darts out of there because they know he's going to say his score. Thirty-three, and the guy's like it's six in it. And so he's like what? And he's like 60, 63. and he's like it's like. Oh, fucking funny. The, that's, the, the, that's what the other the, guys are going to shoot for the whole 18. And he shot it at nine. The guys <laughs> and the looks on their faces too. Like they, they really did a good job. And I, again, I don't care if this is grounded in reality and what actually happened or not. The, the way they directed those two first golf companions with him in the open, these two kind of striving professionals, none of, neither of them became a, a real household name in the golf community, but they were both good golfers. And they just kind of... Forever associated with that one game, though. I mean, honestly, they kind of just <laughs> let it happen. And they were just like, this guy's really going for... I mean, there's just so... Again, just their perspective on it was so... It was so helpful to allow us to... We're not just rooting for him as like a, a really traditional underdog and everybody hates him, but we love him. Everyone was just kind of like fascinated. There was this lovely fascination with him from the beginning. It did, all right, so I, I wanted to ask you guys about this because I couldn't stop thinking about he's not he's not a, a perhaps a, a dumb man or a, a mentally not a super astute man the way some of these characters have been portrayed in movies. But every time I watch one of these movies, it makes me think of Fred Rogers and just the the matter of factness of being a good person, and it just it just is and. You know, you get all that from the opening shots as well. You can tell he's going to be a real, a real kind human being. But the, that sequence, when he is telling us about how he met his wife, and we've seen this scene a million times, but when he goes in and she says, you know, I can't marry you. I've got this son out of wedlock. Total shame. Nobody knows about it, even my parents. He doesn't know his father. And Mark just very calmly says, well, he does now. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. and you just know from there on out, like, that wasn't the biggest gesture of his life. Like he was just getting started on, on showing her and his kids over and over and over again that he doesn't even think that hard about why you wouldn't try to support the kids, which is why the knife does get turned so well when the son, the oldest son, who he raised as his own, is kind of the person who gives us the strongest emotional obstacle by saying, eventually, you're a fool, you let the family down. You and mom live in a fucking trailer now. You let your your other sons down. You told us all a fucking lie. And, you know, 
It wouldn't have worked if everything up until that point hadn't have been so, so matter of fact. He wasn't trying to prove a point by being a good yeah. person. Do you agree with that? Did it yeah. make you think about like that Fred Rogersy kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, because that is you're right. There, there were there were multiple antagonists, which is not too uncommon, especially for a character study. You have the plot antagonist, which is Reese Ifans, the Mackenzie that won't let him play in the open, and because he pretended to be a pro, now all of a sudden he can't be in any club. Like he's trying to rat fuck his entire golfing existence. You also have the emotional obstacle, which is the son, which is a really tough line for these kinds of movies, especially when you have lines like, "Are you that kind of person, or are you this kind of person?" And they do a good enough job of establishing that this is the time period where classism is a real thing. They don't over, they don't beat the politics over the head, but you know this is during Margaret Thatcher. You know. Margaret Thatcher's shadow over people like Mark Rylance's characters. And I think that you're I think that you're you're right on the nose where there's just the little snippets we saw, especially early on where we see him raising the kid and we see him like playing with him and, and helping him build things yeah. and stuff. And so that later when the Hollywood I'll call them the Hollywood lines come in, you know, the lines that like are only said in movies, but not necessarily in real life, because you have to, you have to be concise. You have to take a 30 minute conversation and chop it down into two lines. Stay tuned for next week for our <laughs> isms show. I think <laughs> I, I think you're right. And I think that it's going to work for a lot of people for like movie fans. I'm kind of like, oh, those lines are only ever said in movies. But at the same time, I, I you're 100 percent right, because I also wanted them to get to it quickly. So I think they pulled it off. I forget. if I Jeff, I think but... you said it earlier, but I, I, I just have been. I've been thinking about it since you said it. This movie literally could have been an animated Pixar feature. Yeah. They just decided yeah. to make it in, yeah. in real life. But I mean, every, every line, the way it feels, the music felt very Giacchino and, and up and yeah. Ratatouille. Like it, it definitely lived in that place. And uh, that might be the biggest credential I would give it. I don't think I've ever said that about a live action narrative before. They really pulled off the... The charm of how do you, how do you get movie uh, lines like that across without seeming like I mean fuck you these are adults nobody Ratat talks like that there was so much heart Ratatouille takes so place in heart. three locations Up is very contained we see these movies and we think they're epic but it's actually the 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 wonder that happens underneath that's epic and so when you see nowadays what's happening to Disney it's too much right like the, they're all great but the reason we love those movies is because most of the magic was underneath under the water so to speak since Little Mermaid created the renaissance of all this. But yes, they're all simple stories. Wally, despite the fact that it's about apocalypse and about futuristic, like, you know, life after this planet, is so simple. <laughs> it's a fucking Morris, robot. <laughs> Morris and Wally would have been amazing friends. <laughs> like, there's, 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 just, there's no doubt in my mind. Uh, it, just to take that all the way to the end, it never even touched on it, and I'm so glad it didn't because, you know, the son has that classic scene where he kind of goes off on him and, you you, you know, makes him feel all ashamed. And in the Mark's character never says, you know, I'm, I'm the one who encouraged you to chase your dream because the boy was the one who said he wanted to be an engineer. And, yeah. Yeah. and he just said, okay, and he just, like, started supporting him. There's not a, there's not a ounce of I told you so vindictive kind of energy he just felt guilty for maybe having let the family down and this is when the tears began for me when they he gets invited to this golf tournament in america in grand rapids uh michigan <laughs> which is their version of success which is just hilarious you know that this is like one trip this is the only thing yeah. that really happened to them and this is like his his absolute but also it, fulfills, achievement. it fulfills his promise to his wife as well 
It, yeah. They bring yeah, that which full is circle. Really lovely. From I the hope very that was true. Movie. Yeah. Very charming. Because that was super, super touching. But that whole ending sequence, I was kind of teary eyed the whole time. But when his son finally walks in at the end and he's given his speech, I was like, there were tears like streaming down my face. <laughs> I was I was really crying. I, I don't think I've been touched like that in a while. The ones for me were Ooh. it's it's your turn. <laughs> yeah. It's it's your turn. It's it's your turn now. When they were like, "Wait, you helped me raise my son," and and she did it without giving away the ending. If you know what I mean. Oh God, yeah. She did it because yeah. if she said like she could have given that speech she gives at the end, then right when she said like when it was his turn for the British Open, she could have said like you made my life. She could have said that then, but she didn't. She just said that. So that later in the movie when she says. Your dad didn't make my life miserable. He made my life like that way. Mm-hmm. Like that was Hollywood has been trying for decades and decades to to get that flame from the eighties and nineties back when movies used to do that and pull it off. And this maybe this I don't know maybe this did this this yeah yeah it did I'll I'll say it did. I think the uh, Jeff, you're right, dude. The and Dave, you mentioned it earlier, and it, it's so true. There's a it's not just Western culture. I think I think it exists everywhere. But I know we get really pounded over the head with you're too old to do this. You're, you, you know, there's fucking 18 year olds succeeding at these things or you didn't have the training or the school or whatever the, the credential would be yeah. to give yourself permission to try to pursue something that's going to make you happy or a goal you have. So I really loved her speech. And again, he was sitting in his chair and she saw him like at the beginning of the film. Right. And she like, Morris, come over here. I want to talk to you. And she said at that age, like. Now you get to pursue your dreams when anyone else would have said it's, it's way too late. <laughs> you know, you there's no way you should start yeah. anything. We're not, we're not, she didn't say you should get a hobby. She was saying, you did a good job. You sacrificed so much. Why don't you give your life a shot? And I just, from the beginning, you're just like, it subverts every idea you have about what is possible, which, which again is very unlike the Forrest Gump thing, right? Where he gets yeah. kind of wrapped up in it naturally with his with, with a realistic yeah. progression of age this really stuck out to be uh, uh, as its as its own version of these movies just because this was a, a beginning movie this was like an origin story almost of of the folk hero that he became i guess into his 60s and 70s when hmm. i think i even heard about this guy when i was a young man playing golf and People made some flickcroft jokes on the course, and well, even know, at the conclusion of the movie, there was still he still appeared two more times in the British Open after that. <laughs> under the As names ri- three and three, yeah, three more times and under ridiculous fucking names: Gene Paycheki and James Bo Jolly. <laughs> Wasn't there a count and, uh, one in there as well? There was there, a count. Um, one was a count, and Gerald the last Hoppy. one was. Arnold Palm Tree. Arnold Palm Tree, I believe, which, yes. was, which was just the so shameless. I, the thing I loved was like that that just obscure news report right in the middle of it, where they're like, "Oh, this guy is appearing," and but they they kind of suspect it might be uh, might be him, in, in, like impersonating someone, and it, it wasn't. It was just some poor bastard that they thought. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Every time there's a weird end, they're like, it could be him. Um, could be him. Count Manfred von Hoffmannstahl. <laughs> God, that is so good, dude. That is so funny. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. I also hope 
as a as a golfer myself, and this is like the hardest game you will ever play in your entire life. I I recommend giving it a shot. <laughs> I think it's. I hope it invites some people to the course. It'll too. piss you off. If It'll be self frustrated if you never play before. If, if the movie didn't try to tackle exactly what the enigma is about why golf is so attractive, I hope you could at least say to yourself like it's fun, and there has to be something something addicting and fun about it that these even the worst player in the world would think i've got to get back out there and practice even if i have to go to the beach go yeah. to the beach go to the Take beach some start, on, start on a par three course don't go don't go to a real course it looks so big <laughs> the real courses look so big oh, all right but fucking hell <laughs> fucking, fucking hell. hell all right i think we've uh we've glowed over this i'm just gonna like uh gush everyone yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> fair enough cheers Cheers, cheers, cheers. I nearly birdied that one. Oh. <laughs> and it was a cool 146 yeah, with good. a very refreshing, I might add, three minutes of end credits because there were so few VFX, you know, yeah. In, yeah. in this movie. So it was just like an old school film. It was like, wow, that was great. I sat there for three minutes and I saw everybody worked on this film and... And I'm out of here. And this whole movie and beginning again, again is my, like an hour and my, 46 minutes. I think six people in my theater did the same thing. Yeah, Set to the end of the credits. That was a very oh. lovely little piece that she wrote for the for the ending. It was it was really nice. I think I might listen to the score to this movie quite a bit. Mm. Anyway, all right. What have you Let's guys been watching? Let's do it. This is where we go to the end of our segment. We go around the horn and we say what we've been watching. Give you some recommendations for the week, Dave. We always start with you. What have you been watching? I have been catching up on all sorts of stuff. I've caught up on Stranger Things finally. Um, I caught and? up on uh, Stranger Worlds. Stranger Things, yeah, what a what a cliffhanger to leave that on. That's uh, okay. More, yeah, more coming, more coming in a month. Yeah, um, I caught up to Strange New Worlds. It's still going from like strength to strength. Um, they had a uh, transgender villain uh, for the first time, I think, in Star Trek history uh, on the latest episode, and they were amazing. I want to see more of that character because there was an obscure escape. That character will be back. I cannot wait. They nailed this role. It was amazing. Um, And I also caught up on Halo finally. I got to the end of that. And? Uh, Holy shit, dude. Yeah, I can see why uh, game purists were pissed off by the end of that. Um, But I cannot wait to see where they take this. Oh, cool. Um, I stopped watching when my Paramount free trial ended. Oh, no, come over. You can watch the end of it. It's yeah, worth we'll it. switch because I know um, you need to see shit on Apple TV, so we'll swap. <laughs> um, and uh, then also uh, last night after we ran out of stuff to watch, uh, we, me and the missus sat down and put on the original uh, BBC version of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Why? and binged oh, it right fun. through all six episodes. Yeah, Aww. it's, oh, my God, it still holds up. It's still so fucking funny. That, that, series was like one of the formations of my entire sense of humor <laughs> dude i so, i've never seen it i need to watch that it's on hulu i'll check it out nice. everything is on it yeah dude put it on you i'm imagining it. you two calling each other love love <laughs> can you just just like in the movie uh i finished stranger things i agree that was fun real fun little twist yep the whole time leading into it uh leading in i was like god they're showing us a whole lot of the villain like you know, it's kind of annoying. It was I like it more when it's a mystery, but it was also, cool the way is they Paul ended up Rose using just that. in everything now. Yes, he is. Like he was in the boys this week as well. Yeah. Playing a good character that could not be more fucking different from what that scene was so funny. I yeah. I caught up on the boys as well. He is so funny in that scene. 
God, yes. he's funny in that scene. Yes, he is. Wait, um, wait. Just one scene. <laughs> That's Paul. I thought that was, um, never, I don't want to say. Okay, keep going. God, that's funny. Um, that's Paul Reiser. I, I, it's funny. I watched some of the... Uh, Look it up. I could be wrong, but yeah. Yeah, shout out to my, my brother-in-law, who's one of the TNT twins. He's, I think he's got some more more airtime coming up on yeah, the boys. The next episode. Old Pretty sure you'll see a lot the... more of him next week. A <laughs> yeah. lot more. Oh, Jack. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so proud of him for being on the show. I've been really yeah. enjoying it. They are shamelessly, as they always do. I fucking love that show. As they always do, the satire is very, very sharp, and they are shameless, and they're really going for it. They are just, they are just doing Donald Trump. They're, I mean, they're yeah, just, it's just, it just also, is Donald Trump. Have you seen uh, Vought's Twitter account? Vought has a Twitter no. account, and they they published an apology uh, and a thank you for your service for like the Vought CEO this week. And then, like, because wow. he's up oh, on charges, they, in line with they are staying it. Like, they, the Twitter account is going method, dude. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's really good, dude. I really also, loved the quip. When you when you go to Amazon and fire up these episodes, read the descriptions. Oh yeah, the descriptions. Yeah, are good. they don't they're not even describing the fucking episode. Like, I don't think we correct. mentioned it, but I I really really loved the uh, the shamelessness that they're having with Marvel in the opening montage oh, yeah. of one or two when they have the movie premiere. And the logo is like the exact same structure of the Marvel logo. I mean, the exact same red and white, the same. It's, it looks the exact same. And the director is talking about how, you know, we, we considered throwing this one out onto Vault Plus. But, you know, we decided <laughs> it should have a theatrical release. Like, they're just being shameless with yes. it, dude. It's really Somebody, fun. A lot of references this week, too. A lot of references. Yeah, a lot like of lot movies. Of references. And I watched a little bit of Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. Which uh, I don't know why, but it, it got, I think it got put on Netflix or something. I pressed play. Uh, anyone who remembers that Matthew Broderick version, it has yeah. its moments. I has still it, think it's charming. It has its moments. Hmm. And I have, uh, I am pretty deep into Formula One. The, uh, Is it good? I, I know as soon as I start it, I'm going to like it. So you, you are going to be a slave to it. Uh, if I know I, you, well, Matthew, well, you were. You are going to, it is going to just grab you by the throat. It's a really easy watch. They're, they're less than an hour long. So it's like 30-ish minutes each episode, uh, somewhere between 30 and 40. Uh, it's right so they're really easy spot. to just tackle. A lot of, you know, high octane, a lot of, you know, it's all that. It's very easy to watch. It's, it doesn't try to be super uh, sappy or emotional about their stories and stuff. It's mostly about what's happening to them. And it's really, it's really well done. And I didn't know a fucking thing about formula one. So it's, it's entertaining. I don't know if I, I don't know if I've quite gone insane about it the way some people have, but I'm still watching it and I'm, I'm having fun. How about you, Jeff? Um, so I, I caught up in the boys and Obi-Wan. Oh my God. Obi-Wan. Oh, just, come on, yeah, dude. I caught Jeff, up on that as stop. well. Jeff, just stop watching the Star Wars shows. You don't have to do I it. I can't dude. help it. I don't. I don't know why. I just. I can't help it. I just. Ugh. Apparently, Mando is still good, and you don't need to watch anything else. Dude, fuck off! That last episode was brilliant. All right, you two go at it and fight. Fucking be, amazing. You gotta be out of your goddamn mind, Dave. I just. I don't know why the fuck you've been watching. I have heard I have heard both of your arguments from different people. This seems to be a polarizing show. Some people are really enjoying it. And some people fucking hate it. I just love that they fucked with everyone. They like because they they did the like the big reveal about what's actually going on uh, in this episode, and every ever all those people right back in the second episode where they they destroyed canon, they ruined canon, and it, it was a giant middle finger. It's like, ah, fuck you! Yeah. Like, just maybe watch the whole thing. 
first, but like this episode it was wasn't amazing. clever enough. No, they just maybe, no, they just the reveal. They do stuff like they try, you know, they tried to have Obi Wan do the whole like convince Riza she's actually good, and then she goes, "No, I'm not good." Like she, she like it comes close, and then she goes, "No good," and then she takes her lightsaber, and she just opens the door, like, and it's like if she could have done that the whole time, then what the fuck is you know what I mean? Like they're just they're they're doing shit where it's like. Oh, okay. I'm so mad. I'm just gonna. Even though we have two people on both sides of this giant door, like shooting it and protecting it, the truth is, I have the power to just open the doors. So I'm just gonna do it. And it's like they they just they do things that are nonsensical that that the original Star Wars would have never done. And and they're just doing they they just don't care if people like think that these things need to make sense. The writers don't care if things need to make sense. They can chop an arm off and not have a person cry or scream. Like they can just they can coverage them out of existence. They can open a door when they want. They can they, they have a battle with with Vader and Obi Wan in an episode, and then they just cut away from him and we're on a different planet in the middle of a fucking Obi Wan Vader battle. It's like they just they're doing things that are just like anyway. It's 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 just a different show. I, I'm gonna write. Um, what's the name? I'm going to write to Kathleen Kennedy, and I'm going to see if I can get you on the uh, um, inside. No, no, this doesn't matter. But there's there's really funny clips of I think it's called uh, Mark Hamill hates Star Wars, and it's like interviews of him where he like can't help himself, where he just like hates that he hates Star Wars, <laughs> and. And what? And when he talks about the rise of Skywalker and he got the script, he kept going to them and saying, "Guys, I I think I know Luke, and Luke wouldn't do this. He would not burn down the Jedi Temple. That's stupid. He would not do it." And they're like, "Well, this, that, that." And then he finally had to go, "Okay, I'm playing a different guy named Luke Skywalker. This is a different character. I have to start from scratch because this is a different. I'm playing a different guy that just happens to have the same name as Luke Skywalker. And I feel like you could say that with all of this is a different what show. A twist. This is a different te- show no. that happens to be called Star Wars. This Obi Wan has absolutely nothing to do with the Alec Guinness Obi Wan. The, the the smile, the charm, the omnipotence, the 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 all knowing that Alec Guinness had, which we know now really was just Alec Guinness thinking he was in a movie that was going to suck, and so he was like smiling and he like <laughs> oh the like you don't really need this from me. You don't know all of that charm that Alec Guinness had. It's so gone. It is so non-existent. It's Obi-Wan stressed out Did like you? fucking crazy. It's all plot. It's plot, well, plot, 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 yeah, plot, plot, plot. It's just like that way. Did you feel that way about the, you know, the, the Phantom Menace trilogy, like with, with Ewan's portrayal of him in those as well? No, because he was patience. And I mean, I'm, I'm sorry if they introduced a couple of extra levels to a character that was one dimensional. I think that's horseshit because we're not actually exploring any it's of those the archetype levels. Thing, we're isn't just it? we're just it's, shouting the levels. We're shouting the how many characters explain their backstory? I'm so sick of somebody explaining their 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 exposition or their backstory. Like let us discover it. Do like it's the archetype thing. They're trying to do it sounds like they're trying to do the character pieces on archetypes, which is, you know, kind wait, of deadly. It's wanna... always dangerous. I don't know. I enjoyed it. No, wait, wait, I enjoyed wait, wait, it. Wait, hold on. I, 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 I know. My, my 14-year-old sorry, students like the, love it, too. Like, uh, whatever. I'm one of the only people on Earth, I think, who hasn't watched any of these shows. I, I still haven't watched Mandalorian. Like, do you feel like this is designed to be for, like, they, they, Jeff, would the writers in the room say, yeah, no shit. Of course it's different. We're doing that on purpose. Here's what I think. Like, we want it to feel different. <clears throat> and I, we said, want I said it to this to you different. last time. If Mandalorian, if Mandalorian fucked everything up, because if Mandalorian didn't exist, Boba Fett would have been the Mandalorian show. But because Mandalorian existed, they did what they did with Boba Fett, where they made him a Buddhist who was 90 years old. And and in this show, they 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 said out loud. So uh, this is an inside baseball. They said out loud that that they were worried that the Obi-Wan movie they wanted to make was old man takes care of young kid who didn't understand his powers. But that's what the Mandalorian plot was 
the Mandalorian's plot, yeah, they have the, the episode of the week, but the, the, the actual, like, what they're, what Mandalorian and Baby Yoda, their plot is a slow burn the entire season or two seasons. In this, it's blah, 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 blah. This is the plot. Now we're doing this. Now we're going to go there. We're going to do that. Blah, 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 blah. And, and the character is just completely sacrificed. So what they did, instead of not doing that and doing a different show, they did a bait and switch. So they said, we don't want to do the, the old man taking care of the child. And they did that. It's just not Luke. It's Leia. And in doing that, they turned Leia into something, which is, I, I, I see what they're going for. But when Leia's like, lower the ladders and let me get up there. I'm like, they're making this for children. Like the, the whole, the Obi-Wan, I thought was going to be like for my dad and I to watch together. But now they're, they're watching it is for the children. And Dave saw Jedi. And the from other people but too. when Leia goes, yeah. lower the, so they, they, they actually say like, none of us can fit in those teeny tiny rafters. And Leia's like, lower the ladder and let me get in there. Q90 sitcom music. Like, it's just not Star Wars anymore. You know what I mean? I, well, you know what it makes me think of? And we're, we're talking about this, but I think people give a shit about this. I think people like this. My brother was one of those people who had not seen Star Wars for like most of his life until he was at some point in his mid twenties. And he was, he was watching it for the first time. And he had he had been watching a lot of movies recently. He'd been like catching up on all the pop culture that he had avoided. And I was like, "What'd you think?" And he was like, "You know, it's it it was it was like a campy kids movie. Like I was expecting more from just the lore that is built up around it." So you know what, man? Maybe if we hadn't grown up cherishing those original stories so much, maybe we could all sit back and say, "You know, he was basing this on the." Um, not Will Rogers. What's the Will Rogers Follies? What's the what's the help me out, help me out. What's the uh, what's the story he was basing it on? Akira Kurosawa. Uh, yeah. Oh God damn it! Come on. The space the space story that he space was basing it on the serial. This come on, you guys. You know what I'm talking about space balls. God damn it! You really don't know what I'm talking about. What the fuck was that? something Rogers? And it was like a sci-fi like space drunk. Buck Rogers. Rogers. God damn it! Thank you, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, that was that was just as much of his influence as the Throne of Blood was. Like the story came from that, but the tone was like, I want to make this serial space saga where we kind of venture with them to these different places in a galaxy and get to have adventures. Like that, that, that was absolutely what he was trying to do. We just got a so robot maybe, that all it says is BDB. Yeah. I, the adventures to me aren't coming from Obi-Wan. That's for the old They're coming people. from Riza. He's running away from things. I wish I wish that Obi-Wan had agency in his own series, and I don't think he does. Do you think they made this for fucking kids because it's on a streaming app that kids have access to instead of rated PG-13 movie? You know what I mean? Dave, what do I you mean, think? I feel, like the, I feel like they made it generic uh, enough to, like, you can sit down with your family and watch it. They're very careful to tread that line so that, like, parents can show their kids this because that is what you do with Star Wars. You hand it off to your kids. And... I, I feel like maybe we should wait until the last episode before we judge the series as a whole because they are nope. telling a story nope. and every everybody jumped on the second episode and was like, this is shit and here's the reason why. Guys, they, they, had a girl run through, they had a invalid. girl run through villains' completely legs while invalid. they bumped heads into each other. Like it was a, like it was made on MTV in the 80s and, or 90s. Like literally, <laughs> like a nine-year-old Leia ran through like guy, like fucking like this is what they do for a living grown soldiers legs and they were like oh they like bumped into each other and this fell down this is what they do it for was a like, living 
It was, I mean, it was so, it was so bumbly and like, oh my God. Anyway, I, I, I didn't, I really did not intend to, to shit on, on Obi-Wan right now. I watched that. I know, but I couldn't help. I, I had to I'm going to guess so you're funny. not watching the final episode. No, I'm, I'm going to keep watching it. it. I can't help it. it. I'm not going to say anything about it on this podcast. I'm not going to say a goddamn word about it. Um, I can't wait to ask you next week. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. Uh, the Boys is great. I love The Boys. And um, I rewatched The Mummy with my family. Ooh. Ooh. As in the, the first one. Yeah, the the mummy. Yeah. Hell yeah. No, the Tom Cruise one. No, 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 no. Tom Cruise hasn't had <laughs> one of my... Tom Cruise doesn't have many misses, and that's a big whopping miss. That's a big miss. God, the mummies are so good, dude. They're so much fun. <laughs> so glad you watched that one. So, Brendan Fraser. So one of my sound professors worked on that movie and I'm so jealous. <laughs> he said they had a it's, great time. It's so Hollywood, but man, it's fun. Of course, yeah. It's like it really shamelessly yeah. like fake. Hollywood. It's that's almost like of, Hollywood. That's Hollywood. part of the gag, though. It's, like, yeah, that's why yeah. it's so much fun. That's why it's good. The minute you cast Brendan Fraser in that in that role, you just he had a thing, folks. He's going to be difficult for us to describe to the next generation, it, right? It's going to yeah. be it's going to be tricky. After to explain Encino Man, how could you cast anybody else? It's like, yeah, he was in the Mummy, and he's Robot Man, George of the Jungle. Come on, Dave, <laughs> Encino Man, George of the Jungle, uh, um, Dudley Do Right. Uh, what else? Yeah, we no, I'm, I'm also, but I'm also uh, talking about like you know, like the the opposite bookends of his character, like oh, his the, the yes. family friendly adventurer, and then Robot Man in Doom Patrol, Robot where he Man. literally has a scene where he all he does is storm from one side of the frame to the other, yelling "fuck" <laughs> like fourteen <laughs> times. Jeff, where is uh, where is the Mummy streaming? I could I could HBO watch uh, Rachel Vice and Brendan Fraser go to Egypt and wake up. Emotep. Emotep, Anaxima Moon. Uh, it's on HBO Max. Thank you. Nice. <laughs> yeah. All right, folks, All right. that was fun. Go watch that lovely little golf movie. Please support it. It has yeah. only made worldwide about 2.7 in the U.S. and Canada. It has still not scratched 170,000. So, Limited uh, release. Go Limited release. Everybody, we'll go everybody go see it. Everybody go see it. Let's do it. We'll see you next week, bitches. Ha, 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 ha. Jesus. <laughs>